Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Most people think they're pretty great. They're more with it than lots of the people they know. They're a little bit better looking. They're more reasonable on most issues. They're more competent for sure. Hence this classic exchange from the TV show Seinfeld. Elaine, what percentage of people would you say are good looking? 25 percent. 25 percent? No way. It's like four to six percent. It's a 20 to one shot. You're way off. Way off? Yeah. Have you been to the Motor Vehicle Bureau? It's a leper colony down there. So basically what you're saying is 95% of the population is undateable? Undateable! (laughs) Then how are all these people getting together? Alcohol. Not surprisingly, in a world in which we are highly desirable, the smartest and most perceptive folks, they're the ones who are on to that fact. And they give us credit for being pretty great, even in a world awash in mediocrity. Paul Green has looked at how this plays out in the workplace and why it may have some major downsides. He's a doctoral candidate in management at Harvard Business School who has studied and written about how we cope with negative feedback. Paul, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Kara. So uh, the big question then, you've looked at how we deal with people who give us feedback and how do we feel about working with people who maybe say, eh, this was not so great, this thing that you did. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's no surprise that negative feedback is not a fun thing. I mean, all of us have experienced it at some point. But I think the the surprising insight here is that what my research shows is that not only is it not fun to get negative feedback or when somebody tells you, hey, we're not particularly pleased with, with, right. with your performance right. here. Not only are we sort of frustrated and disappointed by it, we, we also sort of try to reshape our set of connections, the people that we're interacting with, our friends at work, so to speak, in order to sort of isolate ourselves from the folks who we think are going to give us that negative feedback and maybe cultivate a social network that's more flattering in the future. So we're reshaping our social network in order to, to sort of insulate ourselves from that. And have you looked at that in workplaces where we aim to surround ourselves essentially by the flatterers and kind of... You know, the person who gives us the tough feedback, they're not really your friend anymore. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's exactly what we see in, in – uh, so we have a, this big, large data set with a bunch of employees from a, a reasonably sized uh, organization over time. And what we find is that over time, people are really, really good at, at creating these networks that, at least in their minds, are more likely to sort of be flattering in the future and less likely to be sort of disappointing or what we call disconfirming. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the sort of startling and particularly, I, I think – Scary part of that, though, is that that contributes to lower performance in the future. So not as not only is it we're sort of shuffling our friends in order to create this more uh, favorable environment, but it's it's harming us in the future. So from your research, do you feel like to some degree, if people look around their work environments, we've all been aiming to do this, create this like circle of people around us who tell us you're pretty awesome yeah, to- and get away from the people who think, you're, you know, we're not so hot. Yeah, totally. And and actually, I think this is bigger than just a workplace thing, although, you know, I study management people and organizations, but I think this is a fundamental sort of human drive. I mean, think about it. How do you choose sure. your friends? You're not looking for friends who are making you feel bad about yourself, right? You're looking to surround yourself with people who sort of at some level uplift you and make you feel positive about yourself. So I think it's really tapping into a fundamental human drive. And I think that's the really somber point of the research is that we're, we're putting this thing in place in organizational settings that we sort of naively expect going to make people improve and cause them to get better at what they're doing. And what we're doing is we're just providing this sort of nudge and incentive that taps into something really fundamental about human beings. Did you find more uh, movement, more sort of reorganization within institutions than you thought? Because 
I'm sure there are people listening who are like, well, look, I don't really like the guy who sits next to me. Uh, my boss doesn't always give me positive feedback, but I don't know how to reorganize things so that I get away from my boss or, you know, that guy, like he was just assigned to sit there and he's not that nice. I mean, can it reorganize things even like that that seem intractable? Yeah. So I think that's maybe the beauty of the research. I think the research we conducted was in an organization where we were able to sort of get really formal relationship changes. We're actually able to capture a sense of how people's networks are actually changing. Practically speaking, that's not always possible, right? I mean, as you said, your manager gives you negative feedback. You don't like it. You can't just absolve yourself of your relationship with your manager. But I think the the, and this is something we see in some follow on lab research that we did. I think it's not just about severing a relationship. Think about how you interact with people and the strain. So we think about relationship in in the sort of heart of our research. We think about relationship as being a binary thing. Either you have one or you don't. Mm -hmm. But relationships aren't like that. Connections with people at work aren't like that. You you can think about being relatively close or relatively distant. And I think the practical truth is that even if you can't sever a relationship, if you can't just go surround yourself with people you really love, what you can do is change the nature of your interaction with people and change in a really profound and important way that – whether it's a severing or not, is really a powerful signal to the other person. Uh, What kind of criticism were the workers in your study getting that they chafed at and were like, I'm I'm done with this relationship with this person or I'm going to pull back certainly on my interactions? Yeah, so this is actually one of the really neat insights, I think, from the research. And it's a subtle insight, but I think it's really important. So we're looking at... um, peer ratings, right? So think about a a typical sort of evaluation process in an organization. There's a number of dimensions that we've all said are important, leadership and creativity and whatever else are important in your organization. Mm -hmm. And you do a self-evaluation, you rate yourself five, six, four, three, whatever it is. And then there's your colleagues are providing similar sort of feedback on the same dimensions. And at some point you get that rating. So just to be clear, there's some written, you know, feedback and all that sort of stuff. We don't look at that. All we're really looking at is um, my self-evaluation and how my colleagues are rating me. So I think this is an important point because I can rate myself, say, a five or five and a half or something like that. And you can rate me a 5.2. Okay. And in your mind, that's not really negative. You're right. not intending that as negative. In fact, from your perspective. Five out of what? What are we yeah, talking maybe about Maybe six, seven. Okay, it doesn't okay, really matter. Okay. But the, po- the point is, is that in your mind, thinking about all the people that you're reviewing, that's great. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's somewhere middle of the road or upper middle of the road. But I'm filtering what you're telling me through my self-evaluation. And the minute that my peer's evaluation crosses my self-evaluation, that is, it's lower is the minute that I start perceiving that as negative. And I think that's the really powerful thing is that we sort of plant a flag on the ground when we, when we sort of I, you know, come up with our self-evaluation. We say, okay, I think that on a scale of one to seven, I'm a five when it comes to leadership. And I feel pretty strongly about that. And anybody who sort of gets below you on the five and is telling you, well, I have four and a half actually, Paul, that's when subtly things change for you. And that's when you start to interpret it as negative, right? And so that's when we see the action happening. I feel like we could almost translate that when we were talking about numbers. There's so much actually in common between um, evaluating people at work on leadership or whatever and evaluating people on looks. You know, when people believe on a scale of one to ten, they're something and then you tell them they're not. It it is challenging the perception of like who they are and trying to shatter that. And they don't want that. You know, like people are resistant to that. Exactly. That's exactly right. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Paul Green, a doctoral candidate in management at Harvard Business School. He's the co-author of a recent study about critical feedback. Okay, so many companies, I would assume the vast majority of them, have yearly evaluations in which exactly what we're talking about happens. People rate themselves with numbers. There's also usually written parts. Um, There's peer evaluations, the 
boss evaluates you, are you saying not a good idea? What, what do you think of those? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, you know, I work with a lot of companies in my research. And one of the companies I was working with, I was a, sort of a, outlining this research to them. And, and the leadership was sitting around the table and said, well, Paul, I guess we need to go sort of cancel all of our evaluation and developmental programs. And, and I think that's not exactly the message here. Although there's a pretty important insight here. I've talked to lots of people about their experiences with these feedback systems. And you're right, they're ubiquitous. Almost every organization of any reasonable size has something like this. But I've never met a person that really enjoys it. I haven't met a lot of people that actually feel like it sort of leads in some meaningful way to their developmental growth. Mm -hmm. I think the one thing, the one really important insight, and this is where it sort of gets fluffy and squishy, but the one important insight is that we, what we have found in some of our follow-on research to this is that when we create opportunities for the recipient of negative feedback, prior to receiving the negative feedback, to sort of self-affirm and sort of validate who they are, even just within themselves, not socially validated, not Kara telling me, Paul, you're wonderful. This mm-hmm. is Paul just sort of reflecting who he is, what he values, that it really mutes this effect. It almost and goes away. And this is away. before you go into here. Yeah, exactly. And you're just telling yourself. That's right. So, so imagine okay. if we can sort of take that insight and create organization environments. There's, there's important insight here. I'm, I'm married. And I've been married for a long time. And I can tell you there have been many times where I've got disconfirming feedback from my wife. You know, I, think, I think I'm doing wonderfully. And my wife says, actually, Paul, sure. you're not. You're not right. that great at all. But there's never been a period in, in my marriage ever where I've said, you know what? Maybe I don't want to hang out with you anymore. Find somebody who gives you exactly. more positive I, I don't feedback. Want to find, so, so the question is, what is it in that type of relationship that is absent in this employee relationship, right. right? So when you think about your colleagues at work, I think the big thing that's missing is there's no sense at all that this disconfirming or negative feedback is overlaid over an, a relationship that is overall an affirming relationship. So think about that. In your marital relationships or your romantic relationships with, with others or even close friendships, you can get that disconfirming feedback and it still hurts. It doesn't make you feel good about yourself and it's still threatening. But it's pretty easy to quickly retreat to thinking about the relationship as a whole. It's mm-hmm. pretty easy. It's much easier to interpret that as in service of sustaining and maintaining this relationship. And it's a lot harder to delude yourself into thinking, well, this person just doesn't like me or, or is not in, interested in what I'm doing. And so I think one of the big takeaways is that, that maybe the naivete comes in when we're just laying this system in and imagining that the fundamentals of the relationships between the people who are doing the giving and receiving the feedback don't matter. So are you saying that kind of like a marriage, the rest of the year, that's not the day that you go in to meet with somebody and they say you're a 4.5 or whatever, that they should be telling you or not telling you, but somehow conveying to you, you matter, you're really important part of this team. So that when they say, I really think you could do this a little bit better, you say, oh, gee, that's rough, but I know they really like me, so maybe I, I could just work on this a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, at the very minimum, it mutes the tendency to sort of sever the relationship, if for no other reason, because you, over the period of time leading up to that, have sort of started to de- cultivate some mm-hmm. sense of value in the relationship itself, right? So th- part of this is that they're sort of propping you up in advance, but part of it, too, is that you start to see the relationship as valuable. You're not necessarily inclined to want to sever it because the relationship matters to you. You know... I used to teach English, and I would uh, I would correct papers. And I remember somebody saying to me once, I don't remember who it was, but I remember them saying, when you write your comment at the end of the paper, start with a uh, positive thing, and that way the person will be more receptive to all the ne- negativity that's about to come their way. Uh, so I, I kind of tried to follow that model. 
If somebody is hearing this and they're thinking, so what you're saying is combine the positive with the negative. Don't just say, hey, Paul, you need to improve in areas A, B, and C. Okay, thank you so much. See you next year. Is that good enough to do a little like positivity, negativity sandwich there? Yeah, no. So actually that I would say that that's exactly that is not at all what I'm what I'm okay. suggesting. So, so uh there's a, there's a term, there's a sort of feedback sandwich is the polite term, but there's a more colloquial term that incorporates a, a word that I'm not going to say on the okay. air. Uh, but, but it's sort of this idea of you've got something really nasty you want to say, and you know that it's going to be hurtful and not fun. So you sort of sandwich it between some really flowery, positive stuff. And so, so first of all, I'm not talking about saying nice things and burying the, the not-so-fun thing in the mm-hmm. middle. In fact, I actually think it's critically important that we don't bury the lead, so to speak. I think we have to get the message across that we need to get across. And so don't pollute that or convolute that with a bunch of other stuff. I think that's the worst thing you could do. And, and a big reason why is because we're great at finding the positive and sort of muting ourselves to the sort of negative signals. So if you're sending mixed signals, the recipient is going to selectively pull the, the, the elements that they want to hear and sort of blind themselves to the elements they don't want to hear. Has there ever been a time when you were given negative feedback by somebody and maybe sought to not hang out with them as much? Like, it could be in a work environment or whatever. Yeah, totally. In fact, very early in my career, prior to uh, my life in research, I was in, uh, in the agribusiness industry in California. My manager it was sort of the end of the year period, and, and I was looking for a particular compensation increase. My manager set me down and said, Paul, you're not nearly as good as you think you are. And, and you can't <laughs> get is, any more disconfirming than painful. that. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I, I sort of sat there quietly, nodding my head, and walked out of the room, and I started crying. It was just, it, would, it broke my heart. And my, my, I, re, I vividly remember I went home and I told my wife, I'm going to start looking for a new job. Hmm. And for probably a week, I didn't, I, I think maybe two days I didn't go into work. I sort of didn't wow. want to hang out with them, didn't want to talk. And finally, my wife said, you know what? This is stupid. Um, this, is that really, is that really how you're going to respond to this? I mean, at some level, there's some truth to what he was saying. You're a little bit naive and blind. So she was wonderful in that sense. But yeah, definitely. And I think that's sort of the ultimate extreme, right, is thinking about shifting jobs. So there's this uh, thing that people talk about all the time. I don't know where it comes from, but it strikes me as true that people don't leave jobs. They leave the people they're working with. They leave their managers. They leave the, the leaders of the organizations. And so, uh, and I think this is this is sort of indicative of that, right? So you get this disconfirming feedback, and it's harsh disconfirming feedback. And I was experienced as harsh, and my mind immediately went to, I, I need to find a different place to work. Hmm. Paul Green is a co-author of a recent study on how we deal with negative feedback. He's also a doctoral candidate in management at Harvard Business School. Paul, thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. have the article that explains Paul Green's study up on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Innovation Hub Radio. And while you're there, you can leave us a comment. If it does happen to be negative, we're going to try really hard not to take it personally. Personally.